Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Good morning, everybody. Well, for those that don't know me, my name is Nathan, and I get the privilege of serving here as the lead pastor, and one of the things that I do on a regular basis is uh, teach from the Bible, and so that's what we're going to be doing. If you weren't here with us last week, I began teaching on the subject of prayer, something that we all hear about, talk about, but maybe we don't always understand, and uh, we looked last week at the prayer life of Jesus, specifically a couple of examples and times when Jesus pulled away. He pulled away from his closest friends, the disciples. He pulled away from the crowds and the needs of the day. And he went off on his own to pray. That is, he went off on his own to spend time with his heavenly father through prayer. And there were a number of things that we we took from last week's text. And I'll just recap them with you quickly for those who weren't here. First thing we said is that prayer should be relational. That Jesus wasn't just going off to be with God so he could say a bunch of stuff like it was emotional therapy. But Jesus was talking to his father, and his father was talking to him. And through his prayer time, Jesus received strength, and he received direction, and he received clarity. And what happened in private gave him the power and the ability to do what he did in public. So prayer should be relational. The second thing we said was that private prayer should precede public prayer. And of course, we encourage people to pray publicly. We just did it together. We just prayed together. And we pray, hopefully in your family, maybe you can pray. If you're married, you can pray with your husband or wife. You can pray with your kids. You can pray in a small group. You can pray on a Sunday like this when we gather together. Prayer, public prayer is vital, but I would argue that private prayer is more vital. Jesus said, look, when you pray, don't don't do it outwardly for show, but rather go into a quiet place, close the door, get in your closet, get alone, and there talk to your heavenly Father who sees in secret and who answers our prayers. And here's the thing. When we pray alone, it is in that moment that our faith begins to shine brightest because there's nobody to see us. There's no reward unless God himself truly sees us and answers our prayers. So we want to be making sure that we're praying privately as well as publicly. The last thing I said last week was that desire is greater than duty. So for example, if your best friend comes over to hang out with you on a Saturday and they tell you the only reason they're there is because they're your best friend and they're supposed to do that, that's duty. doesn't feel right, does it? Throughout the scripture, we see that God desires that we would desire him, that we would want to talk to him, that we would want to be in his presence, that we would desire him. And yet, even though I believe desire is greater than duty, we dare not throw out duty because duty leads to desire. That many of the things we don't, I don't really want to do that. And then you say, but it's important, so I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. And it becomes a love. I, I used the example last Sunday of coffee. I hated coffee 10 years ago. But I was becoming a pastor, and pastors meet people for coffee. That's it's right in the job description. Meet people for coffee. You know, pastor, my life's falling apart. Let's meet, and I used to say, let's meet for chocolate milk. Didn't seem right. So I forced myself to drink coffee, and I hated every minute of it. But over time, guess what happened? That duty became a desire. And now I wake up in the morning, and the first thing, you know, like, honey, don't talk to me. I need a coffee. And I get, got to have my coffee, right? So that thing that started out as a duty became a desire. And I I think the same is true. Some of you may begin praying because it's the right thing to do. You may begin praying because Scripture tells us we ought to pray. But as you pray and as you come and speak to your Heavenly Father in private, over time it will become a love. 
over time, your love and desire for him will deepen. So that's kind of where we were last week. So today, my initial plan for today was to talk about all the different types of prayer. And you may not know this, but there are many different, many different types of prayer that are talked about in the scripture. But typically when we think of prayer, many pe- people think of prayer as asking God for something. That's fundamental prayer. Like, God, I need this. And you don't even have to be a Christian to pray this kind of prayer. Maybe you were in a situation and, and you were just like, if there's anybody out there, you throw up a Hail Mary, right? Like, if you get me out of this thing alive... If you will save so-and-so, if you will turn this situation around, I'll follow you anywhere. You make some vain promise. You've all done it. I know you have. Don't look so. So, so we ask God for the things we need, and this is normal. And, and Scripture teaches us that we ought to ask God for the things we need. So that's one type of prayer. That's called the prayer of supplication, for those who like big words. Supplication means to ask for something. And so we come to God, and we're like, God, I need money. God, I need, I need you to get me out of this situation. I need physical healing. God, I need a spouse. God, I need a few days away from my spouse. Whatever you're praying for, okay? God, I need strength and I need wisdom and I need patience for these kids. And so we come and we ask God for the things we need. And that's right, but that's only one type of prayer. And we could go into all kinds of prayers. Um, I'll just give you a couple quick ones. The prayer of communion. A communion prayer is a prayer where you are seeking to know God, not seeking something from God. I could take you out for dinner, and the purpose of the dinner could be to close the sale or to get you to do something for me. Or you could go on a date, right? And a date is primarily, I want to get to know you. And imagine if in our prayer we didn't just ask God for stuff, but we actually wanted to know him better. That we wanted our relationship with him to grow deep, to have roots That's the prayer of communion, and so we could pray that way. Another type of prayer is intercession. Intercession is when someone prays on behalf of someone else. Someone intervenes, okay? When I was in grade seven, I went to this public school, and there was a girl in the class who was bugging me. I called her a really nasty name so she'd leave me alone, and she did. And I thought I had succeeded until I left school that day, and her boyfriend, who was a grade eight, and all his cronies came after me. And they backed me into a corner, and this guy was ready to bop me one right in the nose. And this kid from the class stepped in between us. Whoa! This little twerp, he's not worth it. I was there. He said it. She deserved it. Let him go. And the guy let me go. And the guy that saved my life became my best friend. He was an intercessor. And, and through prayer, through prayer, we literally get to stand in the gap for other people. We can pray for God's mercy on someone else. We can pray for God to move in someone else's life. We can pray for, for the things that other people need. We can intercede for them. In fact, Jesus says that he's going up to heaven like he left the earth and he's in heaven. And guess what he's doing? He's interceding for us. The reason why we can go to God in prayer is because he's standing in the gap, bridging it. So we get to, to be intercessors and we can pray for others. It's fantastic. There's the prayer of thanksgiving, right? And that's what we pray for our food. It's not to kill the germs. I know people say, kill the germs, kill the germs, but that's not in the Bible anywhere. Jesus broke bread and he blessed it and he thanked God for it. And so when we eat, it's like, hey, before I stuff my face full of this stuff, uh, I want to acknowledge where this comes from, that this food, this, the fact that I can eat with friends, this is from you and we are thankful and grateful. So, so we don't want to miss that in our prayer, right? That's another type of prayer. There's the prayer of agreement where we, we gather with other people like we did this morning. We're like, God, we agree together on this thing, and we're coming to you together 
in unity and there's power in agreement. Or maybe you don't have a group of people to agree with you, but you take the scriptures and you say, I agree with what you've said, God. And things happen. So there's that. There's the prayer of repentance, right? Which means, repentance means to turn around. So when you pray a prayer of repentance, you're literally saying, I'm changing the way I think, I'm changing the way I behave, and I'm going the other way. That's a type of prayer. Many of you became followers of Jesus or Christians through a prayer of repentance. So do you see how there's all these different types of prayer? And so I initially wanted to preach on them and talk about them all, but then it dawned on me that it's not helpful for me to tell you about all these types of prayer if you and I don't believe that God hears and answers prayer. Like if we don't fundamentally believe something about God, then all of that is just useless knowledge, okay? And so what I want to do today is I want to turn to the words of Jesus himself. And this text is not primarily about prayer. It's about the way God positions himself towards us. Okay, so let's look at the words together. It's found in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, it says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So that's amazing. He must have been talking to his disciples. He must have been talking to special people, the, the, the chosen people of God, the Jews. And then Jesus says something really powerful in the next verse. He says, for everyone. Can we say that word together? Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks will be opened. What Jesus is talking about here is the way God positions himself towards us. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. And so we begin to see something of the way Jesus position, or God positions himself. In the next verse he says, Or which one of you? He turns to the crowds of people listening, and he's going to appeal to their humanity, like I will for you. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, something to eat, will give him a stone? Can you imagine if you're a parent and you have kids, and your kids come to you, oh, I'm so hungry, and they're starving hungry. Oh, would you please give me something to eat? And you hand them a stone. He's like, which one of you would do that to your own kids? And they're like, well, we would, we would, never, we would never do that. I mean, even if there was an axe murderer in the crowd, like the most sinister, wicked person, he'd be like, who does that? That's evil. And Jesus is like, you wouldn't do that. He continues, right? He says, if he asked for a fish, wants some meat, would give him a serpent. And I don't think he's talking about eating it. I think he's talking about like something that's dangerous, venomous, that would harm the child. Like, who, who in their right mind would do that to a kid? And the crowd's going, well, we would never do that. And then he says this, if you then who are evil, we're like, I'm not evil, I'm the, we're the good guys. He's like, no, you, none of us have pure motives entirely, right? Even as parents, we do things for our kids, but it's really for us. Let's just be honest. We want our kid to succeed, and everyone's like, wow, your kid's amazing. You're like, yes, he is. Yes, she is. Right? Like, it's about us. So even our impure motives, when we see our kids and we do good things for them, the motives are still impure. And yet, he says, even you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. You still give good gifts to your kids. And everyone's like, yeah, that's true. That's right. Don't like the evil part, but I get the rest. Yes. And then here's the, here's the climax. This is the big deal right here. How much more? Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God says, if God is positioned towards his children, his creation, in such a way that he longs to hear and answer their prayers, that he longs to give good things to those who are his, if that's how God is positioned, 
And if that's the way you position yourself for your children, how much more the holy, good Father in heaven positions himself that way for you and I. Now, the reason why I started there is because there's a question here. How do you view God? Fundamentally, how do you view him? In the ancient world, they, they had all kinds of deities. There were the gods of the Romans, there were the gods of the Egyptians, the gods of every nation had their own gods and hundreds of gods, and they had statues and ways that they worshiped. The one thing that almost all these false gods had in common, they were, many of them were arrogant, selfish, and you read about them. They're up on Olympus, like, hey, you climb your way up here to me, and you prove your worth to me, and once you get here, I'll decide if I want to help you. And it was like as if the gods were having to be convinced by the people worshiping the gods that they were worthy, they would offer sacrifices, trying to get the gods to move on their behalf. This is the way people thought of God. And now Jesus shows up and he says, listen, <laughs> let me tell you the true God. He's got his arms open and he's leaning towards you, wanting good for you. That's the way the God of heaven and earth leans towards you. And I guess every one of us has to fundamentally ask the question, which of those two versions of God do you believe in? Because if you believe he's like this, go and prove yourself, get over here and do something to make me want to help you, you're probably not going to be that excited about praying. But if you believe that his arms are open and he's leaning down from heaven towards you, wanting to move on your behalf, then, then you'll turn your heart towards heaven and pray. You with me? Okay, so now that we've got that out of the way, there's, there's another piece of this that we need to talk about. Because while I believe, and I want to demonstrate today, that God's position doesn't change. He's leaning towards us, wanting to act on our behalf for our good. Our position changes all the time. And Jesus and the rest of Scripture teach that there are many things that we do that block our prayers from being answered. God wants to hear. He wants to answer our prayers. But there are things that we do that block what God wants to do. Anybody here um, ever have trouble with the Internet? Okay, a few hands going up around the room. Um, I remember the days when internet was a new thing. And we had something called dial-up. And you'd have to connect your computer to a phone line, and you click the button, it would be like, it would ring, and then it would pick up, and it would be like, and you're waiting, you'd hear it all. I don't know why they did that. And then it would connect. And then what you'd have is a spinning wheel while you waited for everything. And over the years, internet connections have gotten better, would you agree? At least for some of us who live in town. Um, and, and for those that aren't tech savvy, the internet is a vast network of computers around the world, and the connection between them is, is incredibly high speed. Like, it seems like there's almost unlimited bandwidth on the internet. The problem for most of us is our, our home connection is, is not up to snuff, right? And so maybe you got rid of the dial-up and you got, you know, some high-speed internet and at first you were like, this is amazing, you can actually watch a video on your computer, except it would freeze, and the little wheel would buffer. And you're like, this is frustrating, so you pay more to get premium internet that's super fast. And all of a sudden, now you can actually download multiple things at the same time. It's like, this is amazing, right? And then all of a sudden it doesn't work. And this internet you've paid all this money for is not working. So what do you do? You call the helpline, and after waiting on hold for about 90 minutes... You get somebody who can barely speak English. <laughs> it's true. You're like, no, you don't understand. And what they do to help you is they run diagnostics and they tell you that the problem is on your end. <laughs> Seems to always be on your end, right? Oh, there's something wrong with your computer. There's something wrong with the equipment in your house. Am I the only person that's been there? <laughs> like, and that's what I'm telling you today. 
I'm telling you that God is leaning towards us, wanting to answer our prayers, but there are things on our end that are limiting what God will do in our lives. I believe that's true. I want to show it to you in Scripture. Obviously, there are dozens and dozens of passages we can look at. I've hand-selected a few to show you. And I want to share with you today four ways, four ways that we hinder our prayers. The first one is this, a lack of faith, a lack of faith. Uh, Jesus shows up in a particular uh, town in Matthew 13, and it says he did not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. In other words, Jesus shows up in a particular town, and he wants to do these things. He wants to heal people. He wants to do all these amazing things, and yet the people rejected him, didn't believe that he could do any of it, and so guess what? He didn't do any of it. Their unbelief limited what he wanted to do. And this is true in our lives. Like our failure to believe God and trust him limits what he will do in our lives. We see this over and over and over again in the scriptures. Did you know that sometimes when we pray to God and we ask him for things, sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is wait. And if it's yes, and we get the thing we asked for, we strut around like, oh yeah, prayer warrior, super spiritual, I did it again, my faith is strong. And when he says no, it's like, what happened? And we throw up our hands, and we go, I thought it was going to go this way. My expectations were that God was going to give me all this stuff that I asked for, and it didn't happen. And And it's in those moments, not when you get a yes, but in the moments when you get a no or a wait, that you truly get to figure out where your faith's at. Because it's in that moment that you have to ask the question, is my faith in a good God that wants good things for me? Is my faith in him, or is it in the result that I was expecting? And sometimes people talk about faith like it's some miracle formula or potion that allows me to get everything I want. You know? God, you said this and this. Bam! Maserati. And that would be awesome. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with a Maserati. Hey, if you work hard, you can have nice things. Just don't forget to be generous. We're going to get to that in point four. Okay? But it's not about, faith is not about me getting stuff for me. Faith is about, I trust my heavenly father, that he is a good father who wants good things for me. And regardless of what I see in my circumstance, I'm trusting him. I'm trusting him. I'm trusting him. And there are examples throughout scripture of people who trusted God through the highs and lows. And it was a great faith that was attributed to them. So, a lack of faith. When you're running around panicking, that's not faith. I'll just tell you that. It's not faith. Trusting in God. He's got this. He's got me. I trust him. I trust him in spite of what I see. That is faith. And so we want to have a faith and a trust in God. When we do that, it it breaks off the limits of our prayers. So, the first thing that limits our prayers is a lack of faith. Here's the second one. Selfish motives. Selfish motives will hinder your prayers. James chapter 4 verse 2 says this. You have not because you do not ask. So James is writing to some people in a church, and he says this. He's like, you're not getting what you need because you're not asking. You're not praying. But then he adds another layer. He says you ask, and you don't receive. You're not getting the thing you're asking for because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. In other words, he says, the reason you're asking for it is wrong. The thing you want to do with the answer to your prayer is wrong. And that's why God isn't answering your prayer. When I was in uh, high school, I was kind of a nerdy kid. I know that surprises some of you, but I was. And, uh, but I always played the guitar, and so I worked really hard on my guitar playing skills um, at home in private. 
And then I really caught on to the Garth Brooks. And some of you guys remember Garth Brooks. He was top of the charts, big, big name at the time. This is back in the, in the mid-90s. And so I learned a bunch of his songs. And then one day, I think it was in grade 11, going into grade 12, I, pu- I brought my guitar to school. And I sat in the hall playing Garth Brooks' love songs, and all the girls gathered around. I was like, wow, this is powerful. And one of, the songs, one of the songs that I used to sing that everyone would ask me for was this song called Unanswered Prayer by Garth Brooks. And, and in the song, some of you may know it, in the song, Garth Brooks says, hey, look, um, he tells this story about this young man who saw this girl, and he was like, I want her, and he prayed and prayed and prayed and said, God, if you would just give me her, then everything would be great, and I'll, you know, I'll give you everything if you just give me her. Of course, God doesn't answer the prayer. And then later, I think it's in the second verse, he, he kind of, he runs into this this girl that he wanted and he prayed that God would give him and now he's married and he has these beautiful kids and he looks at his wife and his kids and he looks at this girl that he said was the only thing that would satisfy him and he's like, I thank God for unanswered prayer. It's like, oh yeah, you actually knew what was best for me and I'm so glad that you didn't answer that prayer because maybe your motives are wrong or maybe you've got the wrong deal. So selfish motives will hinder our prayer because again, if we believe that he's a good father and he wants good things, he won't give us things that are bad for us. So when your six-year-old son says, can I have a shotgun? The answer is, no, you'll kill your sister. You're not, we're not doing that, right? And, and so sometimes we're mad at God, like, why wouldn't you give me that? He's like, because it's harmful for you. You want to use it for the wrong reasons. Some of us, if God gave us a bunch of money, it would destroy us. Some of us, if God gave us power, we would misuse it, right? And so, so God is not going to answer prayers that are driven by selfish motives. Uh, John One of Jesus' disciples said this in his letter to the church. He said, this is the confidence we have toward him, that if we ask anything, what's that say? According to his will, he hears us. In other words, if we're asking for things that are bad for us, that he doesn't want for us, he's not going to answer. We're limiting it. But if we will bring ourselves into alignment with what he wants for our lives, then all of a sudden the floodgates open and the prayers are answered. See, my kid asked me for $20. Um, what's the first question I'm going to ask my child? Anybody know? For what? I saw people saying, for what? Yeah, for what? And if, and if my kid says to me, Dad, uh, I need 20 bucks, and I say, for what? He says, I'm going to buy a bunch of candy and junk food and watch TV all day. Well, you know what the answer is, right? You're going to share it with me? No, <laughs> no, no, that's, that's a question. The answer is no. The answer is no. No, you're not going to have that. Now, take the exact same circumstance. My kid comes along and says, I need 20 bucks. What for? Well, there's this kid in my class, and his dad just lost his job, and he can't come on the field trip, and I'd like to pay for him. Guess what? My wallet is wide open, right, because of the motive. The motive actually matters, right? So, so, so God, and this is the amazing thing, he, is, he discerns the intentions and the motives of our heart. So you can't even trick him, because you could trick your parents. Dad, I need to help my friend at school and buy candy. You could do that, but it doesn't work with God. He sees the motives of our heart. And he won't answer our prayers if he knows it'll harm us or harm other people. So selfish motives need to be addressed if we truly want to unhinder our prayers. Here's the third thing that I wanted to uh, address today. Willful disobedience will hinder your prayers. Isaiah, the prophet, says this in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save or his ear dull that he cannot hear. He's, what he's saying is, you know, God's in heaven, and his arm isn't too short to reach you. 
Just picture it. You're like reaching up to God, and he's like, I'm sorry, I can't reach. Jack. That's a scene from Titanic. Um, it's like the hand lets go, and he sinks. But God is not in heaven going, I can't reach you. You're too low. See, you're never too low. You're never too low for him to reach you. You're never too far for him to find you. It's not that God can't reach you. He goes on to say, it's not that he can't hear you. He hears every prayer. But notice what it says in the next verse. We need to take notice of this. He says, but your iniquities, my iniquities, our sin, our disobedience to God, have made a separation between you and your God. And he says, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. He can hear you. He's not answering because you're living in willful disobedience to him. See, sometimes we forget this. And I, my wife and I, we have four kids, and one of the things that we've tried to do with our kids, we're far from perfect parents, but there's this really basic principle that we've tried to teach our kids. And if you ask them, they would probably tell you. If you do bad things, and they would respond, bad things happen. It's like the sowing and reaping law, right? You do evil, it gets punished. You do good, it gets rewarded. That's just a basic premise, the way the world works, right? And, and sometimes as parents, we fail to teach our kids this because when they do the wrong thing, we block them from the consequences of the wrong thing. And essentially what we teach them if we fail to do this as parents is we teach them that they can do the wrong thing and nothing bad happens, which will actually lead them into destruction because they don't understand. When I do bad things, bad things happen. When I do good things, good things happen. And one of the problems with this is that often, is that often we do the wrong thing and guess what happens? Nothing, right? You tell a lie, you didn't get caught. You look around, you're like, oh, this lying thing is pretty good. And so you take another step and you do something else you shouldn't do. And you look around, you're like, hey, nobody got caught. I didn't get punished. It's okay. And you keep going and you keep going and you keep going and you think this is great. Here's the thing. When you willfully disobey God and live contrary to what he teaches us, it will destroy you. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen a year from now. It is coming. It is coming. Okay? Jesus tells it this way. He tells a parable about two people who build houses. And he says, he who hears my words and does them is like, a, is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And he who hears my words and doesn't do them, willful disobedience, is like a person who builds a house on the sand. So you can imagine your little, your little hut on the beach. And you've got the tiki torches. And you've got the little twinkle lights. And you've got your Adirondack chair and your Trex decking. And it's, everything's beautiful. You know, off of uh, Home and Cottage magazine. It's just like, wow. And you're sitting there enjoying life. And Jesus says, all of a sudden, a storm comes up, and life will bring storms. And that storm comes, and when it hits that house that's sitting on the sand, guess what happens to the whole thing? In an instant, it's destroyed. And some people mistakenly, mistakenly think that because God is gracious and he's not punishing you today, that there's no punishment coming, that nothing bad will happen. I'm telling you, friend, if you willfully disobey God, you're headed for destruction. And here's the beautiful thing. It's not God's position that's changed. It's yours. He's still ready, willing, able. He can forgive. He can save. But you're running the other way. And so willful disobedience will hinder our prayers. I'd just say this. Um, check your conscience. That's something each of us can do. Check your conscience. If there's something there, it's affecting your prayer. Does that make sense? If there's something going on inside, you're like, I know I should do this, or I know I shouldn't do that, but I'm doing it anyway. 
I'm running away from God. Check your conscience. If there's something there, it will be affecting your prayer 100%. Here, here's the fourth and final thing that will hinder your prayers and mine. Mistreating other people. You go, really? How does, how does mistreating other people affect my prayers? Well, there are many passages I could point you to to show you that this is true, but the, my favorite is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And uh, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, is writing to the early church. He's writing to Christians, people who believe in Jesus, and he's addressing husbands. Now, if you're a husband in this place, this is for you. If you're not a husband, if you're a wife, if you're single, if you're a teenager, this principle still applies to you, but we'll begin where he begins. Husbands, he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, that in our Western culture, that makes total sense. Like, of course, how would you not live with your wife in an understanding way? Uh, but this was written in the first century, Rome. Women were the property of their dads. And when they got married, in some respect, they became something like the property of their husbands. Women were not educated like men. They were not treated as equals in many cases. And he's like, hey, if you're following Jesus, here's what you're going to do. You're going to choose, even though you don't have to by law, you're going to choose to live with your wife in an understanding way. You're going you're to talk to her. You're going to listen to her. You're going to understand her. This is radical teaching, folks. Not for us, but for them, this was radical. And then he continues, showing honor to the woman as to the weaker vessel. Now, some of the ladies are going to be like, weaker vessel, what are you talking about? <laughs> Track with me. In the first century, most of the labor that was done was physical labor. You went to war, you harvested crops, you plowed fields. It was very demanding, rigorous physical labor to survive at that time. We don't live... When was the last time somebody here tilled a garden? Maybe a few of you did a little patch in your yard. But men were better at a lot of the things that drove the economy, and men believed themselves to be superior because of their physical strength, right? And today we live in a different economy where we have service and information economy, and, and women are surpassing men in many aspects, and we think about equality in different terms today. But he's like, look, in spite of the fact that you think women are weaker physically, which in general they were, you're going to honor the woman. This is radical teaching in the first century. That the men thought, oh, well, we're smarter, we're better at everything, all this stuff. And he's like, no, you're going, to, you're going to actually understand her and you're going to honor her and lift her up. That's the way Christ taught us to live with one another. And then he tells why. He says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. He's like, legally right now in Rome, men might be here and women might be here, but in God's kingdom, you're here side by side, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God. So you better, you better treat her well. I don't care what the law says. It's good stuff, isn't it? I, I'm encouraged by it. And then he says this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Think about this. Husbands, the way you treat your wives will determine whether God hears your prayers or not. You mistreat her, you abuse her, you don't understand her, you manipulate her, you take control over her, God will stop hearing your prayers. <whistles> wives, if you dishonor your husbands, antagonize them, whatever you're going to do, it's going to hinder your prayers. Children, if you're disobedient, dishonoring to your parents, it will hinder your prayers. This goes beyond this. It goes, the, the way you treat the people at your workplace will affect whether God listens to your prayers or not. Whether you, whether you help other people with your hands, with your finances, it will ultimately affect Jesus told a, a story. He said, hey, if you come to God, if you come to the temple where God lives and you have this sacrifice and you want to give the sacrifice to God so that you and God can have a good relationship, 
And he says, if while you're there, you remember that you have something against someone or someone has something against you, there's, there's, there's trouble in relationships and you can do something about it. He says, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled. Go do what you can do to fix this before you come and try to fix this. That the relationships we have with people and how we live with the people that we're with impacts our relationship with God. Isn't this mind-blowing stuff? I think it is. That these things that we rarely think about can hinder, that can hinder our prayers. That's why Jesus taught us, his disciples asked him how to pray, and he gave them the Lord's Prayer. I'm guessing most of you know the Lord's Prayer. Here's how it begins. Our Father in heaven. Notice he tells his disciples to pray in private by themselves, and then he tells them how to pray, and he says, pray our Father. So he says, get alone, and then pray as if, you're in unity. Pray in the plural. Isn't that crazy? Our Father who art in heaven. And then he goes on to say, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. It's unbelievable. He, he, what, the way we treat other people and what we do with other people affects and impacts the relationship that we have with God. So to close, I want to illustrate this visually. I'm a visual person. And so uh, it happens today that my parents showed up um, and they don't live in this city. So, yeah, that's nice. So, Dad, Dad, could you come up and help me? I just need you to help me illustrate. He used to do this to me when I was a kid, so now I get to get him back. Um, so he's going to come up here, and he's going to represent God the Father. And I think it's appropriate since he happens to be my father, my earthly father. And so if you can stand there facing me, okay? And I want you to just, here's what you're going to do. You're just going to kind of take a slight step forward and open your arms and kind of lean towards me just a little bit, okay? So go ahead and do that. So just... Arms out, kind of, okay, so, but don't, you got to stay back there, back up. Okay, yeah, so you just kind of lean in like this. Okay, so, so he represents God the Father. And what I want you to see is his position towards me is that of wanting to receive me, of wanting to bless me, of wanting to hear and answer my prayers. So what's going to happen here is I'm going to illustrate these four things that we do. And what he's going to do is not move because God's position never changes towards us. And what I want you to see is it's our position that changes towards him, that hinders our prayers. So the first thing I talked about was a lack of faith. And so the ideal situation is that I am face-to-face with my heavenly father coming to him with arms open, humility, right? But what happens is when we have a lack of faith or trust, we start looking around And I'm no longer looking at the Father, but I'm looking at my circumstances. I'm looking at a diagnosis. I'm looking at my bank account. And I'm going, ah, and I'm panicking. And you remember the story, um, perhaps, of Peter walking on the water. Jesus comes out. You can't move, right? (laughs) So so Jesus Jesus is out on the water, and he says, Peter, he says, is that you? He says, yes, come to me. And so Peter steps out of the boat, and he's walking towards Jesus, right? So he's like... Walking, he's like, oh, this is amazing. And Jesus is come, and he's coming towards Jesus. And what happens? He starts looking around. He's like, oh, my gosh, I'm in the middle of the lake. There's waves, and, and there's wind, and, and I should be drowning right now. Why am I? And he starts looking around at the storm and his fear and his disbelief. What happens? Peter begins to sink, and Jesus reaches out and, and, and pulls him out. Yeah. All right, so but God's position doesn't change. It's our position. The disbelief caused him to sink, and our disbelief will cause us to disconnect from our Heavenly Father. The second thing I talked about was uh, wrong motives, right? And so when our wrong motives, is like, I'm coming to you going, what can you give me? And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it in myself. I'm going to do what's best for me. 
And I'm no longer like this with hands open, but I'm clenching my fists and I'm turning away from God because my motives are wrong. His position isn't changed. What's changed? My position. And so these wrong motives are cutting me off from the relationship. They're cutting me off from the answers to my prayers. The third thing we talked about was obedience. <laughs> are your arms getting tired, God? Okay. <laughs> uh, Yes. Yes, we have. You're talking about my wrong motives? Yeah. Okay, he's, he's reminding me that my motives were wrong at times, and uh, yeah, they had to patiently wait for me. This is true. So willful disobedience, right? So again, the, the posture we have before God is humility and obedience and coming to him that way. But when we say, no, I don't, I'm going to do it my way, then willful disobedience does this to the relationship. And it's like, oh, this isn't so bad. I'm going to do it my way, and nothing bad happened. I'm going to do it my way, nothing bad happened. I go, and then all of a sudden, I get so far, everything bad happens. It's like, where's God? What happened? Where is he? How could he let this happen to me? And he's over there going, come here. Read the story of the prodigal son. He's in a pig pit, and he says, you know, if I could just go back to my father, even if I could just be a servant in his household, it'd be better. And what does he do? He repents. And what does repent mean? He turns. He has a change of mind, a change of heart, and he returns to his father with humility. That is the goal. And you do that, and it's going to unhinder your prayers every single time. The last thing we talked about was essentially mistreating others. So what did Jesus invite his disciples and us to do? To love our neighbor as ourselves, right? So the way I can't be like this with God while beating my kids, while mistreating employees, while, while criticizing the government, you with me? I, I'm, I'm actively aggressive and hurtful and harmful with all the people around me and trying to be like this. It doesn't work, and it causes me to turn away. Are you seeing the image? God's position doesn't change. You have a good father who longs to give you good things. It's our position that changes. And so what do we do? We return with humility and grace. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Appreciate it. Guys, give him a round of applause. Thank you. <laughs> and you know, some, some people might say, well, but hang on. What you're talking about sounds like works. It sounds like we do these things and then God... Ex- it's, it's actually not. Jesus told this incredible parable. He told this parable about the unforgiving servant. And, and what happens is there's this guy that owes this king, this, this master, a whole bunch of money. And the master says, you owe me this great debt you can't pay. You're getting thrown in prison. And the guy falls on his knees and pleads with the master and says, would you please just give me time and I'll pay. And you know what he does? He forgives the entire debt and sets him free. That's what God does for each and every single one of us. He extends his grace, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness to us. And then the story continues. He then goes and finds somebody that owes him a few bucks and says, pay what you owe, and he throws the guy in prison. And when the master hears this, he calls this servant back, and he says, you ungrateful servant, I forgave you everything, and you would not forgive the person beside you, and he casts him away. God begins the process of grace and mercy. When we mistreat others, we reject it, and we break ourselves off from the love of our Father. So today, I want to encourage you um, to trust God. Surrender your motives to obey him unconditionally, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm just telling you, as I was talking today, maybe one of these things has hit home with you. Maybe the only thing you'll remember about today's sermon is that my dad stood there almost not moving, (laughs) right? If you could have that image in your mind, that God's love for us doesn't change, 
His willingness to answer our prayers doesn't change. His mercy doesn't change. His compassion for us doesn't change. What are we doing on our end? And if we'll humble ourselves, and if we'll pray, and if we'll seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, then he will hear our prayers and heal our land. That's my hope for every one of us, no matter where you're at. Turn to him with humility and move toward the loving Father. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for the words of Jesus and the disciples that we can study them. And God, I thank you that you stepped out of heaven to love us when we didn't deserve it. And you've forgiven us all when we ask and receive it. So God, help us to, to live and to pray unhindered. Help us to be obedient to the things you say. Help us to trust you in everything. Help us, Father, when we want to do our own thing and help us to love those around us. And God, as we do, we expect that a good Father loves us and answers our prayers. God, we, we think of you today as a God who is leaning towards us, quick to answer and to hear our prayers. God, help us to be a people that run to you in faith and humility. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.